a warm welcome <coughs> to you all. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Steve. I'm part of the uh, leadership team here um, at Yas Community Baptist Church. And our pastor's away for a well-earned uh, couple of weeks uh, holiday. And uh, from all accounts, is having a good time somewhere around uh, the Wyong area and just having a good time. And... Um, He's shaved his beard off, so that's always a good sign that he's, uh, that he's relaxing. And in case you're wondering where Laurie is, uh, uh, our, uh, one of our oldest members of the congregation, 86, and my father-in-law, so I can make fun of him, um, <clears throat> he's um, on a resort island just off the coast of Auckland in the North Island of New Zealand. The last photo I got from him yesterday was he was on the back of a jet ski, um, so... Um, he's never one to um, uh, shirk from a challenge, so we need to <laughs> we need to pray for him in some way. I'm not quite sure <laughs> what way that would be. Um, <clears throat> but look, I, um, Peter Thompson did ask um, uh, did ask for prayers this morning. Um, just really not uh, feeling up to coming to church today, just with his ongoing health issues. So if you could remember Peter in your prayers, that would be really good. Now what we've been doing is been going through a series in Philippians and uh, Nick has done uh, the first two weeks. He's asked me to do um, chapter three. So we did chapter one and two with Nick, chapter three with me today and then uh, chapter four with Deb next week. So um, we're certainly looking forward to that. And as um, Nick rightly pointed out, um, There's some beautiful one-liners in Philippians. Some of the most well-known verses that you've probably got in your head, going around in your head, are probably more likely than not uh, from uh, Philippians. So who can uh, remember what uh, chapter 1, what was the catchphrase or what was the fantastic one-liner from chapter 1? Those of you that have been taking notes... To live is Christ, excellent. Dan, chapter 2, what was it? Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And um, Philippians chapter 3 today is, I consider everything a loss for the sake of Christ. And uh, another one of the reasons why Philippians is, um, and uh, a lot of the other uh, letters that Paul wrote that we find in our New Testament is that he shares a lot of his own life and we enjoy testimony time here at church and we enjoy it when um, others and we learn from it when others share about their um, personal faith journey and that's what uh, Paul is doing and he's writing to this church in um, this small church in Philippi and it's a, uh, it's a Roman colony. It's not far uh, from the coast, um, as we'll see uh, later on because uh, Paul mentions it in chapter 3. It's made up of a lot of Roman citizens. It's a Roman, uh, it's a Roman colony. It's a gold mining area, gold prospecting area, so it's, um, it's a pretty prosperous uh, city. And I, whenever I read of places in the Bible, I like to find out, well, where are they now? Where are those uh, towns and cities now? Um, 
And this one's actually in Greece. And, um, Philippi was, uh, is now, um, it's, it's long since uh, been abandoned, but uh, close nearby is a town called Philippoi. And um, you can still go and visit, uh, you can still go and visit the ruins uh, of uh, Philippi. And so it's in a province called Kavala in uh, Greece. And we'll revisit this idea of uh, Roman citizenship a little bit um, uh, later on. But um, I'm approaching, I just realised I'm just working out, I'm 56, that's not really old I suppose, but nothing like age to start making you focus on how much time you've got left. Okay, and I'm thinking, well, 56 is near to 60 if I live till I'm 90. So, gee, I'm approaching two-thirds of my life. And what have I been doing with my life? What have I done with it? Um, and this is obviously something that, um, uh, that was sort of bothering Paul a little bit as well. So nothing like a bit of age to focus the mind. And... Um, I'll actually need you, because of my age, I'll actually need you to help me with my sermon just a little bit later on, if you wouldn't, uh, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, okay. All right. So there's two, halves to, um, there's two halves to this chapter, and I was reading in my message Bible yesterday afternoon, just reading through the chapter just to get a different sense of it, and... The first half of this chapter is about knowing Christ personally. And the second half is um, focusing on the goal. So two halves. So verses 1 to 11 about knowing him personally. And the second half from verses 12 to the end to focus on the goal. And as I said, we've got um, lots of examples in this letter to the Philippians of how Paul is going with his personal relationship with Christ. So if we look at um, <clears throat> verse 1, um, he's making a little bit of a, uh, uh, he's a little bit tongue in cheek. And that is that um, he said, I don't mind, I wrote to you before about these things, I'm going to write to you again about them okay so he doesn't mind repeating himself and it's interesting actually the first sentence he says rejoice in the Lord and often Philippians is talked about as a very joyful letter and it's sort of hard to imagine a joyful letter um, being in the fact that this is um, uh, Paul's first imprisonment and he's under house arrest okay so he's not allowed to do anything outside of his house, he's not allowed to. Um, uh, he's not allowed to go walking around. He's under house arrest, and he was like this uh, for two years uh, back in the 60s. Now, when I say back in the 60s, I don't mean the 1960s. I mean the 60s. Okay, so this is around 61, um, 61 AD, 62 AD that he is under. Um, He's under house arrest. And yet 16 times during uh, Philippians, he says um, that we are to be joyful. We are to rejoice in the Lord. And uh, what he wants to repeat to them 
is to watch out for people whose faith is not genuine. Those people that uh, walk around who are only um, there for the status, um, who are only interested in how they look and how they sound, they're not really interested um, in the true gospel, the true good news. And just for want of, um, to put a label on those people, I'd call them legalists. They're more into the whole routine, uh, into the whole um, machinations of church. They're into religion, basically. And by religion, I mean um, that that's simply um, a man pretending that uh, they are worshipping God when in actual fact they're not. Perhaps more importantly, um, Paul then goes on and talks about not putting confidence in your own ability. And it's sort of linked to the previous verse about perhaps being a, uh, being a hypocrite as well. But Paul goes on and expands that and says, look, I've got all the abilities in the world um, to do whatever I want. You can, and you can see that he lists them there in verse 3. He says he's been circumcised on the eighth day, so like a good Jew. Um, he's of the tribe uh, of Benjamin, one of the, um, uh, one of the perhaps the more important Um, tribes of Israel. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. In other words, he knows the law. Nobody can tell him anything about the Lord that he doesn't know. As for zeal, persecuting the church. In other words, persecuting this whole Jesus movement. You know, the Jesus movement was just a just a whole bunch of baloney. It wasn't the right uh, thing. It it was run by some heretic called... um, called Jesus and so Paul had a lot of zeal for persecuting the church and as for legalistic righteousness, how's that for a term? Legalistic righteousness, I was faultless, that's what Paul's saying like you could not fault me on anything but he goes on um, and also actually um, he, he doesn't mention it there Uh, But he had, because of his birth, because of uh, his um, standing, he could be a Roman citizen as well. So he's right up there in Jewish society and he's right up there in Roman society. But it wasn't uh, enough. It wasn't enough. Because in verse 7 he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And, and the Greek word there is actual, actually excrement. Okay, New International Version calls it rubbish. Okay, the actual meaning is excrement. So everything that the world could offer Paul by birth or his, by his learning or whatever he achieved 
before he met Jesus Christ on that Damascus road is now completely um, lost. And we might look at we might look at what we've got and we look at what Paul's got and we think, well, why would he give that all up? Why would he give that all up? And that's always a struggle, um, especially when perhaps you haven't reached that point where you give your life to the law because you think that by giving up or, or by handing over your life to God um, that you're going to lose everything that you have or your life's just going to be full of heartache and persecution and, and all of that sort of thing and, and it's just simply not right. You know, if we base our whole lives on who we are and what we do and we don't have any room for God, well, then that's only half a life. It's only when you take that faith step and you take it and you give your life to the Lord that you start getting back what life is all about. You start getting back um, uh, a life that's full of peace. You know, we can surround ourselves with, um, uh, with houses and with money and with all of that sort of thing. But if we don't have peace in our life, if we don't have some assurance of, of um, God being at our side or some assurance as to what happens when we die, it's, it's, not, it's not a happy life. And um, I was reading just a story on Facebook recently about uh, a couple in, um, in uh, New Zealand and they were on the Grand Designs um, ABC show where they build a an amazing house and she was trying to build um, this amazing house with everything was perfect and all that sort of thing and she wasn't happy when she wasn't living in it. They built it, they, they designed it, they built it, she lived in it, she still wasn't happy and so they're selling the house and they're going to start again and it's just incredible um, how she thought that if she just built the house that she, the way that she wanted it and reproduced it exactly as an old colonial house, that, she was, that she'd be happy. She even thought that if she bashed the weatherboards and made it look a bit older than what it was, that then she would be happy and more comfortable in her house. But it wasn't the case. And so she goes on living a miserable life and so she's hoping that the next house she builds, she'll be able to actually be happy in it. And... Uh, it's just, it, it, yes, it is a, it's, it's a paradox, this whole idea of, uh, and the Bible spells it out and says, you know, it is a hard thing to understand about giving up a life, but you give your life up to God and he gives it, uh, he gives it back to you. And as I said, you know, Paul had all of these credentials and yet as soon as he had that experience, meeting Christ on the road to Damascus where he was on his way to uh, persecute, to imprison, to kill uh, Christians, he realised that there was more to life. And despite all his credentials, it didn't hold any water at all uh, with the Lord, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see in verse, um, uh, verses 9, 10 and 11... He just wants to know Christ and know him more, into, uh, more 
I was going to say intermittently, uh, (laughs) uh, more intimately and build a relationship with Christ because that was the most important thing he realized in life. Not all this other stuff that he did or he had. It's interesting too, just as an aside, the... um, do you know what the latest status symbol is? Uh, well, ex- well, uh, certainly for men anyway. It used to be how much money you earned. It used to be how big your house was, um, what sort of car you drove. Uh, I read an article just recently that said it's how busy you are. If you can go to a cocktail party or you can go to a barbecue and you can say, oh, you can say to your friends, oh, man, I'm so busy. You know, like I was working till midnight last night. I've worked, you know, sort of 60, 70 hours this week. If you can say that, that's the latest status symbol is how busy you are. Okay, so it's pretty, it's pretty uh, pathetic, isn't it? Pretty pathetic that that's the case. Okay. Um, so if you want status as the world knows it now, just say you're busy. If you want, um, if you want status in terms of the Lord's kingdom, He wants a relationship with you. He wants a personal relationship with you. And um, we were just reading this morning. Um, it was verse of the day or something on one of our uh, 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 Bible um, things devotions that uh, Leslie and I read, and. We read, you know, that Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's verse 10. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 11. And who wrote Romans? Paul. Okay. He, um, he writes, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be, uh, will never be put to shame. And... Um, that wasn't it, was it? What was it, Romans? Anyway, anyway, I should know the verse. Um, if, you're go- if, if you um, name the name of Jesus and you pray to him and you ask for, for forgiveness, that's it. That's, that's knowing Christ. Christ will come in and start to change, uh, to change your life. Verse 11 in chapter 3, uh, or verse 10, part, the last part of verse 10 and verse 11, talks about sharing in his sufferings, and that's the bit we don't like, isn't it? We don't like, we, we like all the other stuff that he can give us, like um, uh, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, an ever-present help in time of trouble. That's a very well-known voice, but we don't like the suffering bit. But um, I came across a, um, well, I heard it on Focus on the Family on One Way FM this week and then I looked it up uh, on YouTube. Um, and it was, a, um, it was, a, it was a, a sermon, a talk, if you like, by Johnny Erickson. Now, who knows Johnny Erickson? I, excellent, that's good. Because I, I passed the video on to Emma uh, Biddle, um, uh, earlier in the week, and I thought afterwards, I bet she doesn't even know who Johnny Erickson. Johnny Erickson's one of those people that um, 
of my generation. Um, and we grew up with her because she came to renown because she dove, as a teenager, she dove into a river without checking first and broke her neck. And she was a, a young Christian girl. And, and she has now spent 45 years in a wheelchair. And I was listening uh, to her or watching her on YouTube. And in those early days after the accident, she prayed, or for quite a few years, she prayed and prayed and prayed for physical healing until God um, showed her through Mark chapter 1 and through other things that although um, Christ likes to uh, heal us from our physical sufferings, he's more intent on healing our um, spiritual suffering and our spiritual um, heart and our spiritual lives. He wants us to have strong spiritual lives and he may very very well heal us but he may choose not to and in, in, in Johnny's case he chose not to and she shared about a recent trip that she had made to um, uh, Israel with her, uh, with her husband uh, Ken and uh, he was uh, pushing her around in the wheelchair to various sites and she came across um, the pool of uh, Bethesda. Now, I can't remember what it's actually called in the gospel. Yeah, yeah, pool, uh, the pool of Salome. And in her early years after her accident, she wanted to be like those lepers who uh, Jesus came by and healed them, and she wanted to be there at the pool of Salom and and be healed. And she kept on crying out, "What about me, Jesus? What about me? Have you forgotten me? Why am I still here? Why am I still in this wheelchair?" And she realised over the intervening years, and then it came to a full realisation just a few years ago, when uh, with her husband pushing her wheelchair on a hot, dusty afternoon, they came across that pool as they were walking around uh, old Jerusalem. And she said her husband jumped over the handrail, raced down to the pool to see if there was a tap or anything (laughs) that uh, he could get some water out of this, try and find a cistern, try and find some water there for her. But she was long past that and she, with, with tears in her eyes, the biggest tears she had ever cried, she cried out to the Lord and said that she was so thankful to him that she had never been physically healed. She had never been physically healed. But spiritually, she was so strong. She had such an intimate relationship with Christ that she prayed to him and said, I, will, I wouldn't change anything now because of the faith, because of the trust, because of the amazing relationship that I have with you, Lord, that intimate relationship. To her, that 45 years in a wheelchair didn't matter at all. It was just simply um, that having that spiritual healing on an ongoing day-to-day basis where... We don't know, but through God's sovereignty, he chose her as 
an instrument of his so that um, she could um, really grow in him and share that with the rest of us. But I thought that that was an amazing, uh, amazing thing. And it was just, uh, to me, you know, I've often, I've often thought as I've heard about Johnny from time to time uh, growing up uh, with her effectively as, as, a, um, as a person of my own age, why God didn't heal her. And she's able now, 45 years later, to get to the stage in her maturity where she is able to say that she would, she's much happier now in a wheelchair knowing Christ than not being in a wheelchair and not knowing Christ. And, um, yeah, it really spoke to me, um, really spoke to me this week um, looking at that. And then the second half of uh, Chapter 3 talks about pressing on towards uh, the goal. And it's hard to stay, as I just alluded to before, it's hard to stay focused. It's hard to stay the course. Everything in our lives is bite-sized, isn't it? You know, our news comes in bite-sized. Our relationship with people are in little sound bites, video bites on Facebook. Um, This idea of pressing on uh, towards uh, the goal. In other words, taking getting that personal relationship with Jesus, accepting him as your Lord and Saviour and then starting off on this race, starting off on this race and, and running the race, seeing, that, seeing the finish line and running towards it. But it's hard to have goals. You know, we, they, there's so much about goals and objectives and all that sort of thing, but we don't like the long, hard race. We don't mind a 100-metre sprint every now and again, although even that would kill me, I think. Um, but, um, it, you know, it, it, it's a marathon. And I was thinking about it actually yesterday when I, I just watched a bit of the um, AFL Grand Final. And unfortunately, it was one of the Richmond guys right in front of the goal. Um, but he was so focused. Even though he was right in front of the goal post, you know, about 20 minutes... 20 metres out or so, what he was doing was he was 100% committed to that goal, okay? He didn't want to behind from that, uh, from, that, uh, from that distance. So even though he was right in front of the goalposts, everything else he zoned out and he was single-minded and he had his head down and he had the ball in the hand and away he goes like this, you know, silly game. Um, but, um, but he got the goal, okay? He got the goal. And we must know, once we've accepted Christ, we must start to really be earnest about what our goal and our purpose is. And we shouldn't get to heaven and the first question we ask Jesus is, oh, what was my purpose, Lord? What, what, what was the goal I was, supposed to, I was supposed to get? That'd be a very sad day. We should know what our goal and purpose is. So verses 12 and 13 talk about uh, that and Paul says and the thing that struck me in verse 12 was I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus 
took hold of me. So the idea is Christ Jesus reached down to Paul, as we, as we all know, but he's reached down to all of us and he's grabbed us and he said, I want you to be my child of God. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. And Paul is responding to that by saying, I want to grab hold of it. I want to grab Christ Jesus back. I want to grab him back and say, you know, that I want to live a life for you, Lord. I want to use the abilities, my personality, my character, my gifts that, um, that you've given me that perhaps up until now I've only used for myself. I want to start using them for you. And um, it's, it's a really good thing to do. So, um, you know, don't, we don't want to get to heaven. I don't want to get to heaven and Jesus say to me, well, what have you done, Steve? And I said, well... You know, I, I, I worked as a used car salesman um, and then I, you know, then I retired. I had a family, uh, then I retired and then I collected shells on the beach. And here they are, Lord. Here are my shells that I've collected. Is that really what Jesus wants? Is that really what Christ wants? Don't think so. Shells are all really nice, but he'll say, well, thank you, Steve, for those shells, but what else did you do for me? What else did you do for me? Um, how did your race go? Now, um, if, uh, if I went by my Samsung phone, which tells me how much exercise I do each day and growls at me when I don't do enough, um, uh, you know, it'll say how many active minutes I've had. Uh, and usually uh, running, it'll tell me when, <laughs> when I've run. Uh, during the day, and it's usually something like you have uh, you have walked for um, fifty nine minutes and you have run for one. <laughs> okay, so I'm not a great. You know, Paul uses this idea, this metaphor, this idea of running, um, and I'm not I'm not much of a runner, and I can say now, uh, you know, I've got a replacement knee, so I can't run. But whatever exercise you do, I think you can. You know, if you cycle. You can say, well, I've done the, I've done, how, how many Ks, Cheryl, did you do? Where is she? Where's Cheryl? How many Ks did you do the other week in Victoria? No, you did heaps. Because when I rang you, you were puffing. You were really. <laughs> so with whatever way you do your exercise, um, God wants us to be, be using that example and running, running towards the goal. He doesn't want us to be uh, uh, stopping. You see these guys in the marathon or, or um, you know, these iron men and women, you know, and they come across a drink station. The cyclists do it as well. They just grab, the, grab their drink and keep on going, okay? So we don't want to grab a drink and stop, all right? We need to keep on going and this is where you come in what does that look like it's all very well to have these great one-liners from philippians you know to uh, to live as christ to die as gain and all that sort of thing and then uh, having the same attitude as uh, christ jesus and then today you know everything i uh, everything i count but loss apart from knowing christ this is where I need your help. What does that look like? So this is not a rhetorical question. I need some help. What does that look like 
for you or for me? How, how do we work that out? I guess it depends on what your gifts and are and your personality and perhaps what sort of job you do. But if I was to ask you, well, I am asking you, to take these ideas and this idea of a marathon race and straining towards the goal, what does that look like for you guys? Any ideas? Discipline and doing what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So setting goals for ourselves, but it's it's not setting just physical exercise goals. What does it look like, Jill? Um, I think it's being mindful of the purposes that God has in yeah. the Yeah, yeah, if you're not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got... All right, so great. So we've got to be disciplined. We've got to be mindful. Okay, so we've got to be mindful on, on a daily basis, do you think? Yeah, on a daily basis, what we're meant to be doing, yeah. Well, I think it's also make sure we're running the right race in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. How would we know? Well, that's a difficult question, Dan. I How would we know if we're going the wrong way? Yeah. No. But you get you get the. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and Leslie, you were saying about uh, about peace. We don't have any peace about the direction we're going. Um, doors aren't opening for us, and so we start to think, well, maybe it's not the right way, and maybe I need to. What do we need to start doing if that's the case? If we if we have gone our own way, or we thought that God was leading us this way, and He's not, what do we need to do? Repent and turn around. Um, we need to start praying. Maybe it's just we think, oh, yeah, God told me this, and maybe God didn't tell you at all. How do you know? Well, spend time in his word. Spend time praying. And again, that's an, as Jill said, that's an everyday thing, being mindful every day. And I'm sure, and I'm sure Paul was that. He'd lost everything. He didn't have anything. He didn't have... He didn't have. He was locked up in a. Um, he was locked up under house arrest and, at this point, and he didn't. He didn't have any of that status anymore. He'd lost all of that because his friends, the powers that be, the politi- his political masters said he's lost it. He's gone the other way. He's turned into one of those Jesus people himself, and so that he's no, of no longer any use. So thanks for that. Any any other thoughts? But we've got to, yeah, Jill. Um, you know, the Lord will give you direction in life. Mm. In fact, you know, our abilities and our, our passions are from God. Mm. Um, so, you know, I mean, it doesn't take that much mm. to recognise whether you're following those things. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we've got to think about, we've got to think about where, uh, our time and money, um, you know, two of the most important things in life, uh, in these modern days. Where, where, where is our time and money going? And where does it fit? Where does God fit in that? Is God just one of those boxes? So it's time, money, God. Or is it God, big circle, and the time and the money and that are all in that? All right. And, and, um, yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Um, uh, thank you for that. Um, and verses 15 and 16 is a note about all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, then God will make it clear for you. Only live up to what we have already attained. So it means that if you are learning, if you are coming to church, if you are coming to a small group, if you are um, in fellowship with God on a daily basis, in his word, um, praying, what you need to be doing is applying that. You need to be applying that. You need to be saying, okay, well, I'm at the point now where um, I think the Lord can use me. And you ask him. Um, James um, says, you know, if we, if we lack wisdom, just ask for it about what you should be doing. And I met a fellow the other day. I think I've used him as an example before. Um, but he's got, he's, he, he quite proudly, I, I met him in the car yard, sold a couple of cars for him, um, and he said, you know, I've got four theology tertiary qualifications. And uh, he said, I've got a couple of degrees, I've got uh, a couple of postgraduate things. And I said, oh, where do you go to church? And he goes, I don't. And I said, "Why?" And he says, "Oh, I haven't met it. I haven't been to a church yet that sort of meets my intellectual level, you know." <laughs> and I, I, you know, and I, I keep on inviting him to Yas Baptist Church. So one day, I hopefully he'll um, uh, he'll he'll come. Um, but he's a person that's got all this amazing maturity, but he's not using it. He's not putting it into action, and so it becomes um, really ineffective. So we need, we should live out what we've learned. That's what Paul's saying. Apply what we've learned. If we're, if we're mature, we should act maturely. Well, I'm perhaps not quite there yet, but um, that's a joke. Um, okay. All right. Verse 17 talks about... Um, another group of people that we should be aware of and just be wary of. One, the one earlier in the chapter, they were legalists. These ones are liberals, okay? And um, they are a bit of a, a live and let live um, uh, characters. Um, they're, they're happy to say, well, you know, just go with the flow, um, you know, it's okay. Uh, God is love. Um, he loves us all. Um, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, Paul's just warning us, firstly, about legalists, and then, firstly, uh, and then, secondly, about people at the other end of the scale 
perhaps we could call them uh, liberals. <laughs> okay. But look, um, verse 20 is um, a really uh, important verse in the end. It talks about our citizenship in heaven. Um, and I, I said at the beginning that um, the people in Philippi were, at the time, were Roman citizens and very proud of the fact that they were Roman citizens. You know, Rome pretty much uh, had the, had the world, known world at that stage on a string. Okay, they were the dominant power. It's hard to believe today, but um, it was. And if you were a Roman citizen, you had it made. You had it made, and Paul was a Roman citizen. Um, and these people uh, are very proud of being um, Roman citizens. And yet, he said, for the ones that um, had turned to Christ through Paul's teaching, and Philippi, and I think Nick said this in the first week, Philippi was pretty much his home church. He founded that church, um, and he um, and he was very fond of that church. And that church, and this was a thank you letter. Philippians was a thank you letter because they found out that he was um, under house arrest and they sent him various gifts and he was thanking them for it. Um, but he was very keen to let them know that although they might have Roman citizenship and think they had it made, it was far more important to be a citizen of heaven. And to be a citizen of heaven, you, have, you had to, you have to, even now, uh, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ not only does your um, life down here in the sinful world become better, but you have this amazing thing to look forward to um, in terms of a citizenship in heaven. And so he, even then, uh, back in the 60s, okay, was looking forward to Jesus coming back again. And here we are, um, a couple of thousand years later, we're still... We're still waiting, but um, that doesn't matter because if we die before he comes, we're just passing from one life to another and we'll be with him anyway. So it's, a, it's, an, amazing, uh, it's an amazing thing to look forward to. And he says, who, uh, The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lives uh, sorry, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So no more toothache, Jill. <laughs> That'll be good, won't it? Okay. Um, all right. And Paul's story, we've got another chapter to go. I'm looking forward to Deb talking about that uh, next week. But Paul's story ends about six years later in um, 2 Timothy where he's writing to Timothy. Um, and in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, uh, this is six years later. This time he's not under house arrest. He's in a cold, dark dungeon and... He knows that within a number of hours he will be executed. Um, he's under the uh, he's in prison because of Emperor Nero, and we all know, even now, so many thousands of years later, how 
how evil and uh, uh, wicked um, uh, uh, Emperor Nero was. And so uh, Paul's journey has ended. Six years after he wrote that I'm running the race, I haven't got there yet, I'm straining towards the goal. And um, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 6 he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Okay, so six years earlier he said he hadn't finished the race. Now he realises that as his earthly life draws near, that he has finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... (coughs) the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So isn't that fantastic? You think Paul's having a, having saying, oh, I'm so proud of what I've been doing, but he's not. He's saying that he has uh, run the race, but that that prize that he is getting, that crown of righteousness, is coming to us all, all of us who have run that race with him, we are several thousand of years behind Paul okay, in terms of running the race, um, but we'll get there. And the challenge for me out of all of this, uh, and in certainly in these these verses in Timothy, is can I say that? Can I say um, near the end of my life I've run the race, I've done what the Lord's asked me to do, or will I? Be, um, will I be going to Jesus when I die and saying, oh, what, what, what was my purpose again? Sorry, I, I just need to know what, what I was supposed to be doing. All right. Hopefully it's the former. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these amazing words of Paul. We thank you, Lord, for this chapter, chapter 3, about um, the personal... Uh, having the importance of the personal relationship with you first and then the importance of grabbing hold of that and starting to run that race. Lord, and not giving up and straining to what's ahead, knowing that you will provide for us all that we need to get through that. Lord, that you will transform our lives here. You will make us stronger, better people. You will make us uh, better fathers, better mothers, better brothers, better sisters, better people. People will see your spirit shining out of us. Lord, and then most of all, we look forward to that day where we will see you. We will see you face to face. Lord, and we long for those words that you will say to us where you will say um, that we've done a good job. You've been a good and faithful servant, Lord. There are words that we long to hear. We don't want you to be asking us, well, what did you do? Did you just collect shells for me when I had so much more for you to do? Lord, so we pray right now for myself, for the rest of our church family, for all of us here, Lord, that you will give us uh, strength to endure, that you will give us uh, trust and and extra trust in you, extra faith. Build up our faith, Lord, we pray, so that we will um, 
so that we will be stronger people. We will be able to reach the world for you. We will be able to reach that goal, Lord, and we will be able to come rejoicing into your presence, Lord. We pray that now in the precious name of your son Jesus who made it all possible through his sacrifice, through his suffering to bring us back into relationship with you, Lord. So, Lord, help us to accept that relationship, to help us to accept that offer. Lord, not to be scared off by the fact that we might lose everything that we think is important, Lord, and we won't gain anything. But, Lord, we put aside all of that and we gain the world. We gain eternity, Lord. We gain a relationship with you. Lord, help us to realise that in your precious name. Amen.